Well, let's turn to our Bibles to the, towards the end over to 1 Peter. We're in chapter 3 today. 1 Peter chapter 3, I want to begin in verse 9. Uh, you can pull out one of those Bibles that's in a rack in front of you. Look at that index and find 1 Peter. How many of you have signs or art in your home that include the word blessed? I see that in a number of places and uh, certainly it's worthy. It's a great reminder of God's rich blessings that he has bestowed and continues to give to us. It's very true that we are blessed. I did a quick Google search for the word blessed, looking for a sign for the word blessed, and I got nearly a half billion hits. <laughs> That's no joke. Uh, some 400 million hits. Evidently, people want reminders of the blessings that God has given to them, and they simply want to acknowledge that God is doing a work, and they're reminding themselves of that, and I don't have a problem with that. I think that's encouraging. But you drop off the two letters there at the end, and you do a Google search for a sign that just simply says, bless, and you won't find any you'll find very few opportunities to put the word bless in your house as if it's an imperative. But you're going to find today in the text that we're reading that it is an imperative of God that we bless other people. Now, I know that we are really mindful of being blessed, but should we remember Acts 20 that says that it is actually more blessed to give than it is to receive? And somehow in the distortion of God's truth today, particularly in the Western culture, we talk a whole lot more about having a blessing than being a blessing. And Peter is going to acknowledge that, say to us, you and I are called by God to be a blessing, to make sure we are blessing other people. So let's read that together. First Peter chapter three, verse nine and following. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to you, uh, to this you were called so that you may obtain a blessing. Now you might say, well, I haven't been reviled lately. Have you not driven down 411 lately? What in the world? <laughs> Folks are reviling right and left. Some of you are trying to be redirected in your parking today and you reviled. I hope that our outside team did not revile in return. That's what he's saying. Uh, just because you're insulted doesn't mean you have to be the insulter. You don't have to react. You have been given the spirit of God to respond in the way the spirit of God responds. And it's always with temperament. So he's telling us obviously to live differently, that we would not pay back evil for evil or reviling for being reviled, but on the contrary, that we would bless one another, that we may obtain a blessing for whoever desires... The, to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, let me just draw some points along the way uh, from this text, and then at the conclusion of my message today, I'm going to invite my friend Bulan Timo from Uganda and South Sudan to come and share a few minutes with us. Uh, you'll follow along in your handout if you'd like to see the points there. First, God calls and empowers us to bless people. I'm talking about all people, the good, the bad, the ugly. 
that we are to bless people. Blessing is really a matter of our calling. It's not whether we feel like it or not. It is God's call for our life that we would bless people. And so since God has called us, it's our duty to exercise in that calling the, the blessing of other people. So Peter is pressing that imperative, but it's more than just pressing the imperative to bless people. He takes it way beyond that. He says, bless people who fail to be a blessing to you. And that takes it to another level. So it's one thing to adjust our blessings and our view of blessings. It's another to take the people who are acting in evil ways against us or reviling us and be very purposeful to make them the object of the blessing. That's what Peter is calling us to do. That's our call. So the instructions are clear. When people act evil against you, don't act in a like manner. And when they are cursing you, speaking evil to you, or in the South, when they cuss you, don't act in like manner. In fact, do the very opposite. Bless them. That's just crazy, isn't it? I mean, you would have to have God living in you to be able to do that. Oh, that's the Christian life. Yeah, this isn't going to be something that you and I just determined to do. This is going to be, God, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. I need your nature to be revealed in me so that I bless people when they come against me in that kind of way. Bless them, he says. Now, the word that he's using for bless here is the same word that you and I translate as eulogy. Uh, I will hopefully be able to do some of your eulogies. Maybe some of you will do mine. Who knows? And when we do a eulogy, we're talking about the good of the person. We're, we're sharing the good things. Now, for some of you, that's going to be very, very easy for me to do. And others of you, <laughs> uh, we'll make it up as we go. <laughs> uh, sometimes people will say, wow, you must have known that person differently than I knew them. <laughs> I said, well, I probably knew some of the things you knew, but I just didn't tell it right then. I'm only telling the good stuff because that's what a eulogy is. It's talking about the good. It's, it's pointing out the, the blessing of that person's life. And, and that's the word that Peter is using, that, that you and I would be good and that we would communicate goodness to people, even those who are evil against us and reviling against us, that we would, we would take the God role, the God nature, and pursue the peace and, and speak good and blessings to them. Jesus instructed us in this great message that he preached there on the hillside of the northern portion of the Sea of Galilee. He said, you and I ought to bless those who curse us, that we would pray for those who abuse us, and that we would love our enemies. That's radical. That's an upside down way of living. That's a kingdom of God kind of living. And he said, that's what I'm calling you to. You say, well, I can't do that. Then he said, I will put my spirit in you and he will teach you these things. He'll temper you. Uh, your flesh will decrease and the spirit will increase in you. And you'll, you'll be able to do these things empowered by my spirit. So specifically, Peter is saying in this context, because, you know, we've been reading in this chapter verse by verse. In the context, he's saying, when your boss comes against you, when your government is harsh against you, or even for you wives, when your husband has not been kind to you, bless that person in return. 
And that will radically show a transformation in your life that is way different from theirs. It will reveal to them that God is making you more like him. That God is developing in you a nature of Jesus himself. So when we respond in this way, it's not just that we're sprinkling some kind of little dust of goodness around. No, no, we are revealing the nature of Jesus. And when people walk away from an incident like that, they scratch their head and say, why is that person different than me? Why did I just cuss them and they just bless me? Why is that? And we want them to discover the hope of Christ and how he can make all things new, including our lips, our tongue, our very intentions to bless people. So living determined to bless people unconditionally is possible when you and I understand and embrace God's unmerited favor and mercy and grace that has already been extended to us. That's the ticket. It's not that you and I would resolve to be different in the way we interact with people. It's that you and I would come to know the fullness of mercy and grace that God has already extended to us. When we were rebels against him, he was loving us. When we were working opposed to him, he was coming to us, for us, to rescue us. And the more we understand that truth, the more we will begin to prompt ourselves to act in the same way. So consider for a moment how the Lord has blessed us while we were sinners, how God chose to be gracious to us, electing us and adopting us into his family, how Jesus took our sin upon himself and satisfied the justice that holiness required of God the Father. And the Lord forgave our sin and erased the certificate of debt of sin that was held against us, which we should have been paying for. He paid for it on the cross and then he gives us the spirit, his very nature to dwell within us sealing us authenticating us as children of God and he did all that while we were rebellious and sinful against him while we were the opposers Christ was being gracious and blessing us and when you and I get that when we understand the fullness of that then we can act in ways similar because his spirit dwells within us we recognize what God has done for us is what we want to do for and to other people because when it came down to it, you and I deserved eternal judgment and damnation. But what God gave us by his grace is the opposite. And so with that blessing, we choose to bless other people. With God's spirit dwelling within us, we choose to reveal that by blessing them. Now realizing the magnitude of the reality of God's unmerited mercy and grace to us makes us to bless other people. And that becomes just a small act of grace. You think right now that that would be too much. But it turns out to be just a small measure of grace when you think about the magnitude that God has already given to us. Now look at the second point here. Blessing others is part of living the good life and experiencing good days. According to verse 10 of today's passage, whoever desires to love life and see good days, this is the kind of stuff we do. Anybody want to love life and see good days? Yeah, you don't want to be hating life and have bad days. So, of course, we want to love life and see good days. 
So Christians should be the happiest people walking the planet. You and I ought to be the most optimistic of everybody on the earth. We ought to have the right attitudes, loving and experiencing the days. Now, the way you do that is you turn off Fox News and CNN, and then you determine to engage God's word in his spirit, recognizing that everything is different than what they're communicating. You know, they're communicating bad news to try to get you to hook to hear more bad news so they can make more money. How about break the economic chain of the news media and just turn the stupid thing off and just choose to love life, to have good days. Now, now this isn't like you're making pretend that things are good. Oh, we realize we're in a fallen world full of sin and brokenness, all kinds of fractures. We, we recognize that things are going to get worse before Jesus comes, makes them better. We know that. But here's where our change comes when we recognize Jesus is coming again and he is going to make all things new. Jesus is going to take all that is broken and it's, he's going to burn it away. And he is going to recreate Heaven, what we see in the cosmos, and earth as we know it, and it will never be touched by sin and brokenness again. There will not be a need for CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, whatever you're watching. There will not be a need for that because everybody will know the goodness and the glory of God is prevailing in all time and all places. And what a day that will be. Now, because we know that, we see things differently. So even our most dogged days can be good. And probably the most tragic days of your life is when you're sitting across the desk of your doctor and he says, hey, I've got some bad news. And he lays out a grim picture. Even that day is good news because God will resurrect those who are in him. And give a body to them that is glorified, never to be touched by sickness and sin or any disease again. And we will perpetually live in the presence of God in perfect order. Even those most horrific days that we experience are made good because of Jesus Christ. So here's what he's saying to us. Think in those ways. Know the good life and experience the good days because God has intentionally placed us in the world. We don't love the world, but God has placed us in the world that we might have worldly impact for the kingdom of God. And he has sovereignly predestined the way this is going to come about. He's providentially put you in the time and place and the space where you are. And you ought to love that and embrace that and say, these are good days because God has me providentially where he wants me and because God loves me every plan for me is good and I want to pursue those things of God does that mean that you're going to experience some rough days yes does that mean you're still going to die yes unless Jesus comes and raptures this church and if not we'll put each other six feet in the ground knowing that one day that grave is going to bust wide open and we'll be with Jesus again So even the difficulties and the disappointments of our lives are perfectly orchestrated by God for good. There's a lot of people that I could have mentioned from the scripture that understood that truth. But the Apostle Paul, who came to my mind, uh, he knew pain and suffering, frustration and disappointment. 
He knew calamity and hardship like few others, but he also knew that these were good days. When he was talking to the Philippian church, he said to them, you know, I'm having a hard time right now deciding which is better. I'm hard pressed between these two facts. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. You know what he's saying there? My desire is that I would be able to die and that I would be with Jesus forever. But that would be far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he's saying, I've got this desire to be in heaven where there's no trouble and sorrow and sickness and hardship, no persecution, no disappointment. I've got that desire, but I also have this desire to be with you, to pour into you, to live life with you. And you know what he's saying there? He's saying what R.C. Sproul noted, the tension between the apostle wrestling is not a tension between what is good and bad. It's a tension between what is good and better. He said, this life that I'm living is good because I get to pour into you and see all the growth that God is bringing into you and all of his kingdom work that is flourishing through you. But even better would be one day we would all be together and I'm longing for that as well. And I think Sproul has a good indicator of what this passage of 1 Peter is saying. He's saying, live your life in a way that this is a good life, but there is a better life to come. Live your life in the goodness that God has provided today. Uh, Kay and I were crossing the Southside Bridge the other day. We were heading towards Southside. And I can't tell you how many times we've done this. It's been more than I can count. We look to the left, we look to the right, and we both note, man, it's just beautiful around here. You know what those are? Those are moments of the reflection of the goodness of God. These are good days. Last night, we were all struck by the beauty of the sunset, the sky and the clouds and the colors that were there. And seeing those cumulus clouds that were growing that we thought would probably give rain, except for Kay because she looked on the radar and said, it's not going to rain, but you know Kay. I call her Kay Span. I've told you the story. I come out from working and I'm totally drenched from rain. I come into the house and I say, babe, it's raining outside. She said, oh, let me get my phone and take a look. <laughs> and she'll say, no, it's not. It's not on the radar. But baby, look at me. I'm dripping on the hardwood right now. It is rainy outside. So my African friends were with us and they noted it's going to rain. I noted, it's going to rain. Our rain comes from steel in that area. It's going to rain. And Kay said, no, I don't think it's going to rain. I'm looking at the 15% chance. The greater likelihood is it's not going to rain. So last night as we were getting ready to go to bed and it started raining profusely, she said, you need to text them that it's raining. <laughs> I have no idea why I'm telling you that other than God is good. He provided rain last night. And he provides laughter for you this morning at the cost of my wife, which will be at the cost of me later. So. <laughs> Love life. What a reminder. Love life. Embrace it. The world wants you to hate it. The world wants you to be miserable. Oh, but Jesus said, my joy I leave with you. My peace I give to you. That's for today. And when the days are struggling for the apostles, they were struggling right then because they recognized Jesus was going back to heaven. 
when you're struggling, he said, and look, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have, would I have told you? I go to prepare a place for you? But if I go to prepare a place for you, I will bring you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. So love life today. And when you have that miserable day that you think, I can't love this today, then put your sight on the day that's to come. Put your sight on the better life to come. There's a lot in this world that we don't love, isn't there? The abuse of vulnerable and young, it troubles us. The assaults and the killings that take place in our county and our country, man, that really sickens us. And the political antics that are constantly fracturing this country, tearing it apart, that frustrates us. The perversion of the culture grosses us out. The disease and the calamity that destroy the people that we love and the places we love distress us. Yet still, life is marked with the goodness and the grace of God. You and I ought to love this life and love the days for the Lord is our dwelling place. Our presence is with him and his promise is to reconcile all things to himself and he will do that perfectly. Knowing that God will execute perfect justice and have an unrestrained vengeance for us in the day ahead gives us confidence and satisfaction that though people may come against us, though they may belittle us, though they may bring injustice to us, there is a day in which God will serve justice back. Because we are confident that the Lord will reward our faithfulness, we are determined to stay the course amid troubles and trials and doing so with the right attitude. So love the days. Love these days. I'm going to put some flashing points on the screen behind me. Our attitude should be that life is good and that life is great in light of eternity. Life is good today. And when I view it in light of eternity, it is absolutely great. And our good attitude and how we bless people, even difficult people, communicate what we know about God and what we believe God knows about us. Did you recognize that? The way you treat people, the way you cuss them or bless them actually reveals what you believe about God and what you believe God thinks about you. No wonder Peter is saying to those people who are really persecuted, don't respond back with evil. Don't speak back with reviling. Instead, bless. Why? Because it's revealing what you believe about God and what you think God is believing about you. So when we believe that life is good and that our days are good and we bless others because of that, then we validate the core beliefs. And what are those core beliefs we have? First, that God is sovereign, that everything is under his providential care, that God is sovereign, and that he is the rewarder of the faithful. And we believe that he is present and his promises are always to be, they will be true, and that he is purposeful and good and loving and when we struggle with bad attitudes and we view life through a lens of despair and dejection and we communicate that to other people rather than blessing them, then we are actually communicating the opposite of faith. So no wonder Paul is telling us, elevate your faith and let it be communicated by blessing other people. 
I couldn't help but just pause and write a prayer. It was more for me than it is for you. But this was the prayer that I wrote as I was coming to this part of the study. Oh, Lord, increase our faith that we might reflect you well in our attitude. Express the joy you've given us in Christ and bless others, even those who mistreat us in the manner of blessing that you have graciously given to us. It's often that Kay and I are together in the morning at our kitchen table reading God's word and then trying to take those words that we've read from the Bible and turn them into a prayer. And that's exactly what I was doing there. Just taking the truths of God's word and praying them. I encourage you to do that kind of thing. You see, friends, when we are heavenly minded, we have a significant opportunity to be worldly good. But you've got to think in the ways of heaven. If your attitude and your response to people is not what Peter is telling, then you first start by having the mind of Christ and think on the things of heaven. Now look at this next to the last point. The gift of living and goodness and joy includes righteous living. So this gift of living in goodness and joy includes righteous living. The Spirit's sanctifying work in us inclines us and he empowers us to live righteously. So Peter is making three imperatives here. By the way, Peter is actually quoting from Psalm 39, excuse me, Psalm 34. He's just taking the, the psalmist's words and he's bringing them into this letter that he's writing in which we're reading. And here's what, what Psalm 34 is, is speaking and telling us to do he says in this righteous way of good living keep your tongue from evil and your lips from dis, uh, speaking deceitful so you know our lips and our tongue are important because they reveal our heart uh, I have attitude problems sometimes it gets revealed most in the people that I love the most namely my wife if I'm going to have a bad attitude she hears it before anybody and when I do that, when I'm short with her, curt, not caring and affection and loving and building, when I'm doing that, what I'm revealing to my wife in that moment, hey, there's trouble in my heart. I hate that part of me. One day Jesus is going to take that and completely throw it away. He's made me new with a new heart, but I still battle with my flesh that I was born in. You know the problem? They're in the room right now. My parents have bad attitudes. <laughs> you know what their problem is? Their parents have bad attitudes. You know what their problem was? Their parents have bad attitudes. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. We pass that on to each other. That's the joy of Jesus who... The old things pass away. Behold, all things become new, even my heart. He gives me, he gives my parents, he gives you and others, everybody who will exercise in faith to him. He gives us a new heart, giving us the opportunity not to have bad, attitude, bad attitudes and not to reveal those attitudes that are bad with our mouth. So he said, Randy, you've got no reason to have evil in your heart. You've got no reason to have deceit in your heart. I've made you new let it be expressed with your mouth, your lips and your tongue. Let it be evident. He says as well, turn away from evil and do good. Now this turn away 
it kind of loses a little bit of its punch here in the English translation, but it, it literally means have a strong rejection for evil. Now, somewhere along the way, we've, we've got this idea that evil is right there at that line, and I'm going to see how close I can get with actually stepping over that line. That is not what Peter is saying. He's saying be so rejecting of evil that you're not only not willing to come close to it, you're moving in the opposite direction. And that's the way we ought to live with this new life that's been given to us in Christ. Turn away from evil and do good. Goodness, by the way, is this virtue that has been derived from God himself. God is good, right? And he makes all of us in his image, so he has given us an innate sense of goodness. And then the Holy Spirit transforms us and he, he like supercharges that goodness because he makes it that we might have the empowerment of his goodness dwelling within us to overcome the sinful flesh that we were born in. And then he says, third, seek peace and pursue it. Seeking peace and pursuing it is an intense activity. You cannot be lackadaisical when it comes time to pursue peace. You've got to go for it. You've got to be aggressive, by, aggressive with it. You've got to pursue it. That word is the same word that we would say you've got to hunt it down. It's not going to just come to you. It's not going to just fall into your lap. You have to hunt down peace. And so in the context, when the government is coming against you, giving away the trillions of dollars that you have or your grandkids have, your great-grandkids have, whatever the case might be, when they come against you, you're going to have to be pursuant of peace. And when your boss is railing against you, in an unkind way, he's coming or she's coming against you, you're going to have to have a great empowerment of the Holy Spirit to pursue peace in that moment. And when your husband is the jerk that he was born to be in the flesh, you're going to have to pursue peace. And when you do so, you prompt the flesh of those people to have a longing for the spirit that is alive in you. That's radical. That's how the world sees the difference of Christ in the world. That's how we identify ourselves in this new kingdom of, of God rather than the kingdom of the world. By the way we do these, speak and pursue and turn away from what is evil. Now, if you negate that, you will rob yourself of joy and you will significantly re reduce your ability to testify of the goodness of Christ. So this isn't optional. If you desire good days and you see it as God's calling in your life, this is not optional. I'm at the last point. Living well matters now and in eternity. Living well matters in how we actually experience life today and certainly how we experience life in eternity. Now, as I mentioned, the majority of today's text is actually a quote from Psalm 34. It begins in verse 12 of that psalm and it goes through the beginning of verse 16. And in that psalm, David is expressing blessings though he was battling to survive. 
This guy is doing the opposite of the one who is coming against him. The one who's in authority over him is coming against him. And David is not reviling in return. He's not acting in evil in return. Instead, what he is doing is blessing that one who is in authority over him. Though he is in hot pursuit to destroy him. You see, though... Samuel had anointed David to be king, it would be years before God would actually give him the throne. And Saul was greatly embittered against David and sought to kill him on numerous occasions. King Saul was an unjust, jealous ruler in hot pursuit of David, attempting to kill him throughout all of David's adult life there after God had anointed him to be the king. Nevertheless, David remained steadfast and faithful to the Lord and who God had anointed to be the king over Israel. On two occasions, remember, David had an opportunity to destroy Saul, to actually kill him in a cave and once while he was asleep. And both times, you remember what David did? He did not kill him. Instead, he blessed him. He showed him, I had the opportunity to take your life, but, oh, king, I wouldn't do that to God's anointed. He blessed the king. He didn't speak evil of him, wasn't deceitful. He turned the, away from evil and doing what is good. He sought to pursue peace. Now, listen, David modeled wonderfully what Peter is telling us in this passage today. But Jesus did it perfectly. Jesus is the perfect model for us to follow. And when you see the model of Christ who did not speak evil when evil was coming against him, he did not revile in return, though revilers were coming hard against him. And even as they were killing him, he did not act against them. Instead, he blessed them. Lord God, forgive them. They know not what they do. He blessed them. Now, when you measure up to that model, you'll measure desperately short. You'll fall way behind, and so will I, which is the reason why we needed Jesus to take the sin of our lives away from us, to erase the debt of justice that was held against us by paying for it himself on the cross and then giving us all the credit of his righteousness. If you've yet to trust in Jesus Christ, I encourage you right there, Lord, my sin is against me. You're going to hold that and require me to pay for that for all eternity. Would you give me mercy and grace? He already has. For your reception of that by faith, trust him in that. Trust him in that. And for those of us who have, and I pray that we'll take these words and live them out to their fullest. If you thought, does God understand my struggles? Does he hear my pleas? Will he continue to let evil people have their way against me? Listen to David and the apostle Paul, excuse me, the apostle Peter. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Listen, God sees and God hears, God knows. And one day he's going to right all those wrongs. Look what he says. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You trust God to bring vengeance where it's needed. And you let these days be days that are good 
and filled with the goodness and greatness and mercy and grace of God. Communicate that to other people. One of my favorite people on the planet is Bulan Timo and now his wife, Sarah, who's by his side. Bulan and I met a number of years ago and as you and I have been partnering with him in multiple ways and God's work for him in the region of South Sudan and Uganda and other places throughout the continent. And I've asked Bulan to come because his story of living through real difficult days, but yet wanting to be a blessing to his countrymen is a good story to hear. It's a great reminder. It'll help us to identify God is still very much at work with this kind of text. So Meadowbrook, welcome Bulan to the stage today. Hello. Good morning. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, I am so grateful, and my wife, Sarah, uh, to be back in Meadowbrook and to see you, wonderful people, and to see your faces. Uh, we praise God for a uh, new building and the things that are going here, and we praise God for you for keeping us on our feet in Africa to do the ministry of God. Many years ago, uh, my country, Sudan, has been in war, and that war have been going on for many, many, many years. But the one I will share with you is about uh, the one it started in uh, 1983 and it ended in 2005. And that war started and the time war gets to our village, I was three years old. And I was going to visit my grandmother in her neighboring village about uh, five miles away and busy with my grandmother there, not knowing that our village will be under attack. Our village was attacked because that those years, Muslims will go to the villages to hunt down and attack people and take them as a prisoners of war. And uh, while I was busy with my grandmother playing and having fun, as many other grandchildren does, so our village came under attack. Knowing that afterwards that my mom and my father and five of my brothers and my sister were taken. I never seen them for 15 years and I grew up in, in the jungles and forests of South Sudan. And all these years, my grandmother, who is a preacher and who loved the Lord, I've seen my grandmother, grandfather going from village to village, sharing the word of God, going for the revival meeting, preaching the gospel. But there's nothing that can attract me towards God. And you telling about God being good, that just set me on fire. I don't want to hear anything about that because if God was being good God, then why would my parents and all that stuff happen to me and just, just set me in another wrong place? But when I was 12 years old, my grandfather, one evening we sit down, and he is the person who have not gone to school. Maybe probably he have studied only uh, primary two, and he can tell the stories. And that evening, as a typical African village, people sit around and they build a fire and watch the stars and tell the stories of their family. But my grandfather was narrating the stories from the book of Romans chapter 8. And he just keep on telling the stories until he reached Romans chapter 8 verse 18. That he was telling me about the hope, the, 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 the hope that will be revealed. The current suffering that he is going through, the believers are going through, cannot be compared with the future glory that Christ is preparing for us. So right there, I never heard my grandfather speaking to me like this, and he was telling me he is excited that one time 
he will be seeing Christ. But he's worried because I don't know him. So do, I mean, I don't know Christ, and then there will be big suppression between me and him. And you love your grandfather so dearly, you grow up with him, or he becomes like your father, and you want to be separated from him. That right there, it hits me really hard. And right there in the fire, around the fire, I ask Christ to forgive my, me of all my sins. And God put the peace of God in my heart, and since that day, my life was never been the same again. So all these years, I live up with my grandfather, and after the war, I was able to go and look for my family after 15 years, not knowing, not hearing from them for all these years. And when we were uh, traveling from our village, there was a landmine on the way. Nothing has been removed. I mean, where they, when they planted the landmines, nobody, I mean, they don't tell it is there, or maybe somebody who have planted have died. So I asked God to help me through this road. And by the grace of God, I was able to go after two days, reach into Juba. And where I started looking for my family and find somebody from our tribe, then begin to talk with them. He knows somebody. And then afterwards, in the evening, I was able to reach to my family. Reaching there, I found my mom and my sister. Unfortunately, I've lost my father and five of my brothers in the war. But I thank God because God has a plan for us and it is him, it is his will. So I go to continue to build me up using all that stuff for his glory. And by the grace of God, I was able to come after finishing my school, whereby I started under the tree, not using pencil, not using a notebook, studying under the tree all these years. But by, by his grace, through the support of missionaries, I was able to come to finish my high school in Uganda and eventually ended up in Alabama. So uh, can you imagine somebody coming to go to school? I mean, I've never used the computer and then I have to take classes and sit down and then I have to type. And how frustrating is that to use computer? But it's all for the glory of God. So I was always excited to finish school and go back to my country. This is where God called me to do. And this is where my mission field is. And that was the joy that God has given in my heart to see my fellow Africans knowing God and walking with him. So with that excitement, after finishing my studies here, I decided it's time to go back. Few people try to persuade me, oh, you, you've been a lot, I mean, we sit here, but I don't find a joy. So uh, I decided to go back, and upon my arrival, I was excited and fired up. I'm going back to Africa, and reached Juba, and just reaching there after two long months, 60 days, my brothers and sisters. One morning, it was a Sunday morning, boom, we descended into another civil war. The bullets are firing. I mean, everything was flying. People are screaming. People are being killed. I mean, the war is here. And I find myself being locked up in Juba. You can't go outside. Nobody is allowed to leave the city, especially if you're a man, you can't go out. And then people are running to refugee camp. People are running to Uganda for the refugee. And we, I tried to get out of the country. Some friends from the United States here tried to get me out, and then there's no airplane coming. There's, you can't use the road. After three weeks in that miserable war, I don't know how many times we ate. I, I, don't, I can't remember. So after all that is true, I find myself being in Uganda. So that's where I'm living right now. And God has given me opportunity to go and work among the refugee people. 
And I know that it's his will for me to be in Africa, to be in, among the South Sudanese people, and to work with these refugees. Going to the refugee camps is still is a, is, a, is a tough situation. Seeing people who are able men and women and children who once they live a happy life in their village, now they have been trapped up and put up here, they have nothing to do. You can see the desperation, but you can see the desperation. People are lost. People are angry. People don't know what to do, but there is the opportunity, and I thank God that he put me through that because there is my brothers and sisters here. I will be able to go and share the good news that I know. Jesus Christ is the Lord. And we, there, God has put us a group of people working together from several refugee camps, mobilizing people, teaching them, making disciples, planting churches in the, these refugee camps, and supporting them so that they will be able to make disciples among the community. And one thing I do believe that we don't know when will that be, but one time these people will be able to go back to their villages. But they will not go back to their villages as they came, but they will go back as a new person in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And that is the joy, my brothers and sisters, and that's what you, uh, Meadowbrook, are doing with us in Uganda and in South Sudan. We hope and we long to see these people going back to their village, as a no, not as they come, but they go as a new people. But not only in their village, we long to stand before the throne of God and singing praises in heaven one day with all of them. Because this is what God has called us to do. Thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you so much for all you have done for us. May God bless you. Mm. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, hey, I know some of you have gone through really difficult situations. Uh, your story is not exactly like Bulan, Sarah's, but the pain and the suffering is still significant. The word of God for us today is the same. Regardless of what you have gone through or are going through, if you desire to love life and see good days, let God do a work in your heart. Let him do that work. For some of you, that begins by confessing your sin, your shortfall, and trusting him to be the one who can take that sin and destroy it. The one who can give you a new nature, a new heart. Trust him for that. Come to faith in Christ today. And a number of us who have done that, we need to exercise in that new heart and ask God to do a great work in us. Let it be evident to those who are in authority over us and those who are around us that may treat us in poor ways. Give us grace to do exactly that, Lord, I pray. Find us faithful to your word that has been delivered to us, changing us, transforming us. And I pray the evidence would be in the things we say, and the things we do, the pursuits we have. To the glory of Jesus, amen.